It's a program of Jewish information, inspiration, motivation, and transformation. Here on the Gabrielle Sanders Show. Shalom Aleichem from Yerushalayim Shel Zahav, from Jerusalem of Gold, and welcome to another freshly baked edition of the Gabrielle Sanders Show. In today's program, we're going deeper into helping Jewish students on campus to deal with the challenges of anti-Semitism. Kip Glickman, who works with students at the Hebrew University, will offer some solutions that are really making a difference. And Dr. Lisa Aiken of Jerusalem presents insights on good communication and marriage. And then, from the archive of my podcast, I just have to share with you my experience when someone recently asked me at a Shabbat table, what's Amazon? you got to hear this. So this is more on the fastest-moving half-hour of Jewish programming legally allowable on The Gabrielle Sanders Show. You're tuned to The Gabrielle Sanders Show, broadcasting on WNEW 102.7 FM HD3 New York and around the world on TalklineNetwork.com. So in this edition of the Gabriel Sanders Show, we're focusing again, putting the spotlight on university students because that's where the real battle is today. And what to be done about the anti-Semitism and how we can train fresh Jewish leaders to be advocates for the Jewish people, Jewish values, Jewish identity, and of course, the state of Israel. I'm seated now with Kip Glickman. He's actually, he and his wife Shana, operating a program on the Hebrew University in Jerusalem for specifically doing what I just said. So Kip, Welcome to the Gabriel Sanders Show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Give us a quick summary of the work that you're doing, and then we'll drill down a little deeper. Me and my wife, our goal and our mission and what we do at Hebrew University is to create future leaders of the Jewish people, people that are proud of their heritage, people that are proud to be Jewish, people that are excited about spreading that to other people. That, that's our number one goal. The way we achieve that is through many different ways, but... For one, we have a lot of interaction in our house, one-on-ones, we do trips, we do meals at our house for Shabbat. The goal is to build not only the community and the students to feel like they are a group together, but also to build up the individual to feel like he's proud of his heritage or she's proud of their heritage and, and able to spread that to other people. You're actually running a program that kind of parallels their academic track. These are students, the ones that you're working with, that come for primarily a semester abroad? A lot of them semester abroad, yes. We also have students that are in the university, international students that are studying for a master's degree or in the Machino, which is a preparatory track towards the university to study actually in Hebrew at Hebrew University. So it is a diverse track. They're also starting a full degree in English at Hebrew University. So there are a lot of different students and a lot of different schedules to manage, but there is a large portion that are studying abroad from different universities, Berkeley, UCLA, Michigan, and many other universities in America. What is let's say, the background of the typical student that might be coming to you? A lot of our students come from secular backgrounds. Jewish, raised with maybe a Pesach Seder, Passover Seder, Yom Kippur, and Rosh Hashanah. Not necessarily fully religious background, but definitely identify strongly as being Jewish, to whatever extent that means for them. In the time that you've been working with this demographic, this constituency, what kinds of shifts do you see? Because 
I, I know there's this great program that everybody's aware of called Birthright. Students come for like 10 days. They get an exposure to Israel they've never had before. When these students come for, let's say, the semester abroad students come for five months, what's the impact of that experience? Is it a longer ripple effect, let's say? Well, first of all, I want to say Birthright, I think, is an amazing program. I think that the amount of students and young people that they get to Israel is absolutely outstanding. And the impact that they have, I don't think can be belittled. I think they do a great job. I think that what we do is a much higher level of interaction. And it's not a two-week program. It's a semester, or it's a year, or it's three years. I don't think you can compare a two-week trip to what we have. I think we have a very deep impact on each student and each young person that we, that we interact with. We know them personally. They become almost a family member in our house. And I think that that is a very, very different program than Birthright. Well, and, you know, in Birthright, you spend a lot of time on the bus. And it sounds like in this program, you spend a lot of time around your Shabbos table. Yeah, there's a lot of time around our Shabbos table. There's a lot of times we have dinner during the weeks. We have one-on-ones. We go for coffee. We schmooze. We, we hang out. We go for trips to different locations in Israel. A lot of times to places, I try to plan places, places that the students wouldn't have necessarily have gone to on a birthright trip. A lot of our students have done birthright before. I think birthright does a great job of inculcating a sense of Jewish identity and a connection to Israel. And what we do is take that a step further, which is not only do I have an impact of Israel, but I'm able to take that to other people and to tell them, you know, how great Israel is, how great it is to be a Jew, how proud they are of their heritage. And I think that's what makes our program very special. Well, I know there's a very positive working relationship between your Thrive Study Abroad program and Jewish Year Abroad and Birthright itself. Now, if I'm correct, I think I am, there are a number of students who've gone through your program and then gone back to finish their degree, their BA, whatever, or even MA, but have actually made Aliyah or come back to serve in the IDF. Yeah, a lot, a lot of our students have come back. A lot of our students have moved to Israel. The program has been going on for 10 years, so I've only been a part of it for two years. But in the alumni department for the last 10 years, there are many, many students that have decided to make Aliyah. Many students have decided to join the IDF. That's something we're very proud of. You're not only in touch with the students that you have here. I understand you do uh, a, a yeoman's work, a yeoman's effort of keeping in touch with students that have been here before, your alumni. How are those alumni that you're aware of dealing with the rising waves of anti-Semitism on campuses today in North America? I think it's a very, very, very difficult problem that they're facing. A student who hadn't gone on a program like ours feels isolated, feels alone. You know, there's Chabad on campus, there's Hillel on campus. I think that's something that's very important to us as a organization, as a family, me and my wife, which is, you know, how the program usually is run, is to create leaders, to create leaders on campus. Like you said, people that go on our program go back to their institutions. So we have students at Berkeley, we have students at some of the institutions, some of the universities that are the most filled with hate, the most filled with anti-Semitism, such as Harvard and Columbia, a lot of places that have been in the news for not great reasons. We've had students that were able to not only run vigils and support other Jewish students, but also to be outspoken, which is much more, in a, in a university environment, it's very difficult to, you know, break out of the herd mentality. And a lot of these places, a lot of these universities, it's not cool to be pro-Israel. It's not, it, it's not just not cool, it's almost offensive to the university itself. And I think that's the feeling that a lot of our students face. And the amount of courage and the amount of pride that they need to have in their heritage, in their, in their homeland, is something that 
is inculcated. We do our best together, me and my wife, to make that something that is a priority for each student to feel not only that they're proud of their heritage, that they can go and share that to other people. The adaptation to the anti-Semitism campus for a lot of students is just staying above water. I think in the beginning of the war, there were a lot of students that were, you know, proudly Jewish, that they knew that their other classmates would were making comments. We had one student that in the beginning of the war, there was a falsified report that Israel had bombed a hospital with people inside of it. And it ended up being that it was the Islamic Jihad that had bombed the hospital. And for an entire day, one of our students, by many of his classmates, was called a hospital bomber. And just to have the courage to be able to not only step into the face of that and to, to a certain extent, he just ignored it, but he went even further. He rallied a group of students that night to have a vigil, to have a tish with the Chabad rabbi, and just have solidarity, to just feel like together. I think that the thing that the Jewish people need the most on these campuses is the feeling of community, the feeling of togetherness, because when everyone is against you, that's the biggest chizik, that's the biggest strength that we can possibly turn to, which is connection to each other. I know one of the proactive steps that your organization has been taking is the emergence of the IPledgeForIsrael.org site. And one of the solidarity demonstrations that any Jewish student can do is to go to that site and pledge that if they happen to study abroad, Israel will be their first choice. Well, I think every student should study abroad. I think it opens your horizon to new ideas, to new culture. And if you're a Jewish student, I think that Israel is the only destination that you should be considering studying abroad, especially if you haven't been before, or even if you've been on a birthright. Like I said, this is, a, this is an immersive experience. Birthright is two weeks of amazing immersion, but we're talking about a semester. We're talking about something that could change your life. Just to have a connection with Israel, to have a connection with your heritage, to be able to feel confident about people who are questioning what is Israel doing. Forget about Israel, Jew hatred, which has risen separate from the anti-Zionism, has uh, turned into, in a lot of ways, horrible anti-Semitism. To feel close to your people, to feel close to people who think like you, is, or even don't think like you, is, is something that you can't compare. Kip Glickman, Hebrew University, working with students, making a difference, changing lives. Thanks for taking time today on The Gabriel Sanders Show. Thank you for having me. While speaking with Kip, we briefly mentioned that Thrive Study Abroad has established a proactive step that Jewish students can take to demonstrate their solidarity with the land of Israel. It's a non-binding pledge, what we call Bli Neder, that if the student decides to study abroad, then Israel will be the first choice. So if you're a high school student, or you have a high school student, or you're in your freshman or sophomore year of college, this is the right time to click over to ipledgeforisrael.org. It takes less than 30 seconds to take the pledge, and you'll join a growing groundswell of support for our people and our land, ipledgeforisrael.org. By the way, when you take the pledge, someone on the other side of the effort has made a commitment to give tzedakah for each pledge made. So if you're not a student but want to stake a claim in the tzedakah aspect of the movement, send me an email at gabrielradio at gmail.com, and I'll connect you to the right people. Take the pledge, share the pledge with your circle of influence, and make a difference today that can change your life forever. This is David Eskenazi from the Aliyah Network. If you're thinking Aliyah, I invite you to join our dynamic and supportive WhatsApp group. Contact Gavriel for details. Send an email to gavrielradio at gmail.com. Thank you, David. Speaking of Aliyah, you might be intrigued to know that since the war, requests for Aliyah from France have gone up 500%. 
and from the USA, 120%. So if you're serious about Aliyah, then you definitely should join the Aliyah Network WhatsApp group, as David Eskenazi just invited you. I'm happy to provide you with that link. And what's there? A lot of very helpful people from the north to the south and all over the center of Israel. I joined nearly two years before making Aliyah, and I got so much help. Now, Nefesh Benefesh was fabulous, of course, in cutting through the paperwork. But you really do need a community of people here who've made the move before you to help you chart your own path to the homeland. So, if Aliyah is on your mind, the Aliyah Network is where you want to be. There's help with shipping advice, telephone services, insurance and banking, real estate, short and long-term rentals, the best times to shop, and where to shop. And hey, what about Amazon deliveries? A lot of practical questions, some that you wouldn't even know to ask yet, and they get answered at the Aliyah Network. You can check out the Facebook page as well. And again, if you want the WhatsApp link, just send me an email to gavrielradio at gmail.com. That's G-A-V-R-I-E-L radio at gmail.com. Coming to you on the Talkline Network, you're listening to Gabrielle. It's the kind of question you'd expect to hear from someone in Amish country or someone living off the grid in the Australian outback, but never in an urban Jewish community. But I was there. I heard it. A two-word question that told a story in itself. You ready? What's Amazon? Let me set the stage for you. We were enjoying a festive Shabbat meal at my friend Mordechai's house. Besides myself and Mordechai's wife, we had the larger-than-average-sized family of his daughter, her husband, and their impressive children. I'll tell you why they were impressive in a moment. At some point, between the soup and the main course, I brought out my hand puppet. He's named Mr. Kenlo. Why is the puppet called Mr. Kenlo? Because his Hebrew is limited to the two words for yes and no. Ken Lo. I'll tell you another practical reason. It's easier as a beginning ventriloquist to say Ken Velo behind a smile with clenched teeth. So Mr. Kenlo entertained the children and the adults, I might add, in the amusing ways that he answers yes and no to a series of questions. We all laughed, and inside, I sighed. Why? Because these children were wonderfully pure. You see, they'd never used a smartphone, an iPad, a laptop, or surfed the internet, or wasted long hours watching YouTube shorts, or worse. Their imaginations were sharp and vivid because they loved to read. Their simple pleasures included singing Shabbat songs with their parents and grandparents. They were polite to each other as they passed around the dishes of food. These kids were unsullied by technology and the twisted value systems that it propagates. I've seen this sight before at the home of a family in New Jersey. Bright children who produced beautiful harmonies and song on a Friday night, welcoming the Shabbat, or Shabbos as they call it, with shining eyes that reflected their love of this special day. This, I call it, time out to tune up. But back to my recent meal at Mordechai's home. Before sitting down, the father of the several children blessed each one, and he was in turn blessed by his father-in-law. The kids actually looked forward to the blessing. You could see the anticipation on their faces. It wasn't just a Friday night Jewish ritual. It was a personal connection between themselves, their father, and their father creator. Okay, fast forward. The meal ended, and one of the adults asked me, So, where did you get Mr. Kenlo? And I said, Oh, I ordered him on Amazon. At which point, the mother of these pure-souled children asked, What's Amazon? We're talking about Amazon, ranked number two on the Fortune 500 list of U.S. companies by revenue, with 1.5 million employees, and shielded from all that, she innocently asked, What's Amazon? Naive? You might be tempted to think so. Techno-isolated? Maybe technophobic? No, none of the above. 
As a family, they'd chosen a way to live that shielded them from outside influences, which, in the end, are often diluting and deluding in the modern family. You know what I'm talking about. By lowering their exposure to technology, they actually elevated the quality of their family life. It was so palpable. They remind me of a couple I heard about years ago who left the dollar-chasing rat race of Manhattan to move to a caravilla in a newly forming community in Israel. A visiting reporter asked them, So why'd you make this move? It's tough to live here. They smiled and they said, We exchanged a standard of living to achieve a quality of life. That's what I saw in Mordechai's grandchildren, his daughter, his son-in-law. Such refined manners, such respectful interpersonal exchanges, such joy expressed over simple things. They had crafted a special quality of life by saying yes to what's best for them. And that's a principle echoed in the Torah, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verse 7. Natati lefanechem habracha v'haklala uvacharta b'chayim l'ma'an tichyeh ata v'zarecha. I've placed before you, says Hashem, the blessing and the curse. Choose life so that you will live, you and your children. Judaism is so much more than a religion or a philosophy or an ethnic identity. It's a series of decisions made by navigating a matrix of choices, choices that lead to a sustainable intergenerational outcome. A hundred years from now, Amazon may be on the scrap heap of companies that came, bloomed, boomed, and faded. But given the right choices, the life-giving choices, the Jewish people will still be here, beyond surviving, indeed, thriving. My simple prayer and blessing for each of you listening is that you'll make choices which lead to health, wealth, wisdom, and happiness, finding joy in the basics, and making a difference for one another. Here's Rabbi David Aaron, founder and dean of the Israelite Institute in the Old City of Jerusalem, bringing us some delicious food for thought on getting better connected with ourselves by making eye contact. Abraham gets this prophetic message, and the word is lich lecha, go to yourself. And yet, the continuation, go to yourself, leave your country, leave your birthplace, leave your father's home, to a land that I will show you, and I will bless you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will make you powerful. It's a very strange verse, because on one hand, God is saying to Abraham, go to yourself, and yet really is telling him to leave himself, because isn't my country, my birthplace, my family, the very foundations of my identity, right? I am a Canadian who was born in Toronto to the family of Aaron. These are the foundations of my identity. And strangely enough, God is saying, go to yourself. And yet simultaneously seems to be saying, by leaving yourself. And then what am I going to achieve by leaving myself? I will be great. I will be empowered. I will prosper. Well, how could that be? I mean, most people don't prosper by becoming nomads. If you really want to be powerful, you stay in your country, you draw on your family connections, you base your life on the many, many years of good citizenship. Here, God is saying, become a stranger. And somehow becoming a stranger to your past, a stranger to your identity thus far, you are going to be empowered. How so? Really, the journey of Abraham was not a purely geographical one. It was a spiritual one. It's actually communicated in the order of difficulty, because really, it should have said, go to yourself, leave your father's home, leave your city, and leave your country. 
But it actually says leave your country, leave your city, and leave your father's home. Why is it in the wrong order? Because it's actually in the order of psychological difficulty. Abraham was being asked to disengage from his persona, disengage from the identity thus far he perceived himself, and embrace a new identity, but identity based on the ultimate I. I will make you a great nation. But the stages is really this disengagement of the persona that he played and now placing his identity in his relationship to God. See, what is identity? Identity comes from identification. So are you identifying with and seeing your persona, your character, I, Abraham, from this house of Terah, from Mesopotamia and whatever, that is my identity? Or I am a soul and my identity is rooted in my connection to the soul of all souls, which is what we'd call Hashem or God. And that's really what God is asking Abram to do. Abram is going to be a trailblazer. He is going to create a whole new kind of identity, one that is not based on his citizenship, not based on his country or based on his family background, but solely based on his connection to God and his service to God. And that will become his source of prosperity, empowerment, and success. That is really the secret of reaching immortality the experience of immortality. You know, Mark Twain said an amazing thing about the Jewish people. He said, all people's paths away, but the Jewish people remain. What is the secret of the Jew's immortality? The secret of the Jew's immortality is that his or her identity is not based on that which is transient, but based on that which is eternal, which is their relationship to God. If your identity is based on your relationship to God, then no matter what happens to you, you have an identity. You see, the Jewish people have suffered throughout history. They have been outside of their land more than they've been inside of their land. Their property has been confiscated from them over and over again. Their family ties have been damaged and destroyed. And yet, how is it that the Jewish people continue to survive? I mean, take a Roman and throw him out of Rome and disconnect him from his people. He'll no longer be a Roman. If he moves to America, he becomes an American, right? But the Jewish people, everything that constitutes identity for most people has been constantly taken away from the Jewish people. And yet the Jewish people continue to survive and even thrive. How is that possible? Because Jewish identity is not based on that which is transient. Jewish identity is based on the I connection, the connection to the great I, the source of everything. And that's what's really remarkable. There's actually a plant called the wandering Jew. Now, I'm sure it wasn't Jewish people who said, wow, wouldn't that be great to have a plant named after us? What's Jewish about this plant, right? It feeds off gefilte fish. What makes it a Jewish plant is no matter where you cut it and plant it, it grows. It has this miraculous ability to grow under any condition, wherever you put it. You cut it, and you can put it, and it grows. And somehow there was a universal awareness of the power of the Jewish people to survive against all odds. Now, here are these people that have been exiled. They are a wandering people, and yet they continue to somehow maintain their identity. Why? When you lose your country and you lose your property and you lose your family members, what keeps you alive to survive? It's the source of all life. It's the connection to the source, which is that I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. 
I will empower you. And that is Abraham. Abraham created a new kind of identity. Where most people's identity was based on their persona, based on their character, Abraham was asked to disengage from his persona, disengage from the identity as he perceived himself thus far, and base his identity through an identification with the ultimate, with the eternal, God. A friend of mine was doing a book on uh, holy women. And she went around interviewing women that are known to be very holy in the land of Israel. She met with this one woman who she said she was just beyond the beyond. And when she met this woman, she realized that she thought holiness was something you build up to. But once she met this woman, she realized that holiness is something you strip down to. And that this woman was just her pure essence, pure essence. So, and this woman was a survivor of Auschwitz, and she was a victim of medical experimentation, which made her infertile. And uh, this woman has now become known to be a woman for bringing great blessings to women who are seeking children. So women who are seeking to have children go to this woman and get a blessing from this woman. She herself has never and is not able to have children. So in uh, this discussion my friend was having with this woman, she asked this woman, how did you survive Auschwitz? And the woman said, well, you know, Auschwitz wasn't so bad. So my friend was shocked. She'd never heard anybody say Auschwitz wasn't that so bad. Then the woman turned to my friend, and my friend actually came from a secular background and was now uh, a religious Jew. And the woman said to her, but can I ask you a question? She said, yes. She said, how did you survive living in a secular society? So my friend was a little taken aback as if she's making a comparison between Auschwitz and a secular society. So my friend turned to her and said, I'm a little challenged by your question. I mean, what are you implying here? So the woman says, you have to understand something. In Auschwitz, the Nazis could get our bodies, but they couldn't get our soul. But the secular world takes your soul. Okay. In other words, what happens is that we once again become locked into our persona, our body, our possessions, the externalities of ourselves, and then we get lost in our personas, and sometimes the only way to free ourselves is God throws us a gift called identity crisis. But we don't have to wait for the crisis to wake up and realize, I'm not my body, I'm not my career, I'm not my possessions, I am a soul, And as a soul, I am an expression, I am an aspect of a super soul, an ultimate soul, the soul of all souls, which we call God. Rabbi David Aaron is the author of nine significant books that can help you map your own inner world of the soul, including Seeing God and Love is My Religion. You can visit his website at RabbiDavidAaron.com, that's double A-R-O-N, or you can browse Amazon, because harking back to our earlier segment today, you know what Amazon is. And you have a couple of CTAs today. What's that? A call to action. One is to take the Pledge for Israel at iPledgeForIsrael.org, that's for high school and college students. And then if you're thinking Aliyah, join the Aliyah Network on WhatsApp. You can send me an email for the link. You can also look at the Facebook group if you dabble in Facebook. And finally, a third and constant CTA. Remember that we don't need much in this life, except to do much in this life, as we read in Pirkei Avot, the Ethics of the Fathers, Emor Ma'at, Asay Harbe. Say little, do much. And that's the cue for me to bid you well.
And as we close out this broadcast of the Gabrielle Sanders Show, I want to say thanks again to executive producer Zeb Brenner and a shout-out to Erin Michelle for her voiceover artistry and special thanks to Jason Shaw of Audionautics for our theme music. Bye for now. This program showcases people, organizations, and opportunities for making a difference. Tune in next week for another freshly baked edition of the Gabrielle Sanders Show. You can reach Gabrielle at GabrielleRadio at gmail.com. That's G-A-V-R-I-E-L radio at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.